Hey everyone, I'm Dave Alley, and this is All Things Climbing. Today I'm talking with climber and trainer Matt Pincus. Matt and I first met years ago when we were both climbing and reviewing gear for Blister. And most obviously, Matt is an elite climber with a tick list which includes 514 sport pitches and V12 boulders. But he's also thoughtful, easygoing, and loves climbing as much as anyone I've ever met, all of which made him super fun to work with. In the time since, Matt has taken his talents over to Training Beta, where he works as the content manager and head coach slash trainer. Together, Matt and Neely Quinn produce high-end training-related content, both on their website and podcast, with topics ranging from philosophies of training all the way down to the granular details of physiology and training tactics. Since Luke and I started this show, I've wanted to have Matt on, since he's one of the most knowledgeable and psyched climbers I know, and I'm pumped we were finally able to connect over the phone recently. I was interested to hear what he's learned not only from training and coaching others himself, but also from being exposed to so many other coaches and trainers over the past few years. We discuss what he's gleaned from those top-level climbers and coaches, as well as his thoughts on the renewed interest that training currently enjoys in climbing culture. Finally, if you're looking for insight about improving your own climbing or an effective training regimen that will target your specific needs and goals, I can't recommend reaching out to Matt strongly enough. Whether your goal is to break past a plateau, learn how to train safely when coming back from an injury, or simply using your time both on and off the rock more effectively, Matt has years of insight and experience to draw from to get you there. You can find him over at trainingbeta.com slash Matt, or hit him up on Instagram at mpincus87. That's at M-P-I-N-C-U-S-8-7. But first, I want to let you know, this episode is made possible by Bivouac Coffee. Bivouac roasts their own coffee out of a small cabin in Evergreen, Colorado, and the first thing that you need to know about them is that they make the best coffee you can find, period. I've tried about half their roasts to this point, and they all have rich, complex flavor profiles and are stunningly easy to drink, regardless of how you brew your coffee. Everything else that you need to know about Bivouac pertains to their deeply held sense of environmental ethics. Bivouac leads U.S. coffee roasters in exclusively using so-called zero-process coffee, which means sun-drying the cherry after harvest rather than washing it off to get the bean, a distinction in processing which saves almost 8 liters of water per 12-ounce cup of brewed coffee. They're also a 1% for the planet company, their packaging is 100% compostable, and portions of their proceeds also go to support the Colorado Avalanche Information Center and Big City Mountaineers. So check out Bivouac Coffee to start drinking better coffee and reduce your environmental impact while you're at it. Now back to our conversation with Matt. So I wanted to ask you a little bit about um, how you went from psyched boulder into I, I do this full time. Yeah. Well, I mean, first of all, I, I just have to say that I'm like, I feel really grateful um, to be able to like make my living through the climbing industry at this point. It's, it's like taking a long time for that to come around. And I just, I feel really grateful like to the entire community for like making that possible, so to speak. Um, so in living in Jackson, I, you know, when I moved out here to ski, the main priority was, you know, not working during the day so I could go skiing all the time. So I, uh, I got a series of bartending jobs, you know, like better and better places and kind of had like a, eight, nine, like an eight year career basically of doing that. Nice. Um, and, but at, but over my time here, like, you know, as I, I was skiing a lot, but I was always still going rock climbing and just more and more, I found myself, like I said, like driving to Lander on every one of my days off. Um, so, you know, gradually you just, I was like moving more and more away from skiing and focusing more on climbing. And, that sort of culminated in several years ago. Now I maybe four years, four years ago. And I was like, I'm going to go on a six month road trip. Like that was the goal. Yeah. Um, and so I went on a six month trip, you know, kind of Joe's Valley, Waco, Vegas, sort of the Southwestern winter loop, so to speak. And, yeah. uh, had, a, had an amazing time. And I had gone on like, like a, you know, month long trips, six week trips before, but it was a, a whole nother experience to just have that much time, um, available to just go rock climbing. Um, it was, it was amazing. Um, and 
I kind of got back from that and I actually got, I got rehired at the same restaurant as a bartender again. And I was pretty immediately sort of like, okay, like I got to figure out a way to do this more, uh, like more long-term travel. And at first, I mean, that was three and a half years ago or something. And it was a training bit. It was like a three to seven hour a week job. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, we're still a super small company. It's, it's basically Neely and myself. Uh, and, but you know, it was just like a couple blog posts a week and that was it. And over time we, the company has grown and it's just sort of like, you know, I was gradually sort of increasing what I was doing, uh, for training beta. Mm-hmm. And then, and so that was sort of like going on at the same time that I was like, I need to figure out a way to spend more time traveling and going rock climbing. Um, I was also getting more and more interested in training, uh, for climbing myself Mm -hmm. during that time. So it just sort of was this organic process where it became a bigger and bigger part of my life. Um, so I just kind of always stuck with it and as it grew and eventually reached a point where, you know, I was working, you know, like closer and closer to full time for training beta. And so I just, I kind of tried just jump, jumped in with both feet. And that was basically, uh, last August. And that's awesome. Been growing, going great since then. Oh, that's amazing, man. Congratulations. Yeah. Um, no, I appreciate- how, how is it working from the road? I mean, having it be a, a full-time job, is that, is that difficult to add on to the, you know, the stress of being on the road, the idea that I need to be, um, connected to fast internet or at least accessible to all this stuff. I mean, you know, that's, that's a, that's a lot of time and, and it, it's hard. I, I find it hard to work from a different cafe every day and like that kind of thing. Oh uh, yeah. I mean, it's definitely taken some getting used to and like anything, it's got its ups and downs. Like I, it's not a, it's very different from the, the last six month trip I went on when I was just unemployed yeah. and all I, all I did was go climbing every day. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't feel like I, you know, I get to go climbing a lot, but I don't feel like I have a ton of free time. Yeah. I sort of treat, I treat climbing as a, as like a commitment. Um, and so, you know, if you, if you take your climbing days as a given and then you got to fit, you know, I probably work like 25 to 30 five hours a week, something like that. Uh-huh. Uh, so, you know, if you add in those working hours and trying to climb, you know, as much as possible, suddenly it feels like it's quite a busy week. So I, essentially yeah. I just, if I'm, if I'm not going climbing, I'm, I usually work, yeah. uh, did, uh, which is fun. Did but. that accelerate in your um, your focus on, on training for climbing. And, you know, one of the things that I'm, I'm interested to, to hear you talk about after that story of, of the road trip and so forth is that it seems like that's a, like you're describing a trip that involves an incredible amount of outdoor, like climbing, like actual climbing. And my sense is that the, the current like climb hard zeitgeist is getting around this idea of, you know, out, climbing outdoors and training are not the same. And, you know, like oftentimes, like if you're, if you're going to try your hardest every time you go to the crag and do that every day, that's going to, that's just going to be different than if you go and you do like a really structured regimen and then you, you know, you build up towards a goal and then you have this one week where you're going to be at your peak and so forth. And for me, the concept of training gained a lot of appeal when I found myself too busy to just climb whenever I wanted to, which is kind of what I would have done if I never had, was forced to choose. I would just right. go climbing outdoors all the time. Cause that's kind of how I got started. But then all of a sudden when time is a scarce resource, you're like, Oh, I'm getting <laughs> horrendously out of shape here. I I should take a look at this training thing. Cause it's much more time effective to go hangboarding than it is to go to the crag. And is that, is that something like, did, did picking up more and more work kind of push you in that direction or were you already two feet in that, in that notion by that point? No, I, I would say, I'd, well, I don't know. That's actually an interesting question. I've kind of always assumed that my 
entry into training was driven by two things. One was like, I'm a, I'm a really, I'm motivated climber in terms of improving and trying to climb harder and harder things. That's sort of always been my, my goal and sort of drive in climbing. Mm-hmm. Um, so as sort of training kind of came, became gained popularity and just became more and more of a, a thing we talked about and that there was resources available to, to learn about it. It wasn't just this idea of like, yeah, you, you, you go climbing to train. Um, it, it was a really natural thing for me to go to because like be interested in. Um, and so I, I sort of always assumed that it, it came from that, but the reality was, you know, during that time I was working for training beta. So I was exposed to a lot of these things, but Mm -hmm. I was also working full time either as a bartender, then I was running a restaurant and, um, yeah, I guess, you know, it's interesting to think about that in that I think there, I probably had a excessive motivation and a, uh, sort of a, not enough access to, uh, outdoor climbing as much as I wanted. Mm-hmm. So it was like, yeah, I guess I'd never really thought of it that way, but I'm, I'm <laughs> sure that, that, was, that was part of, uh, why, like I personally got into more and more of training. Yeah. But, it seems like a scarcity of time is, is a big common, common factor in a lot of cases, or I guess another, another major way you end up training is you, you hit a plateau and, and you're really motivated, but you're like, I'm, I'm just stuck at this level. Um, but yeah, I, I started when I, that was, I guess my, my transition into like thinking about trying to deliberately climb harder was about, I just don't have time to go climbing outdoors. You know, I was a grad student and then, you know, now I have a kid and, and, um, and initially I was like, well, I kind of resent having to hangboard in my basement instead of going to climb outdoors. But like, I guess I, now that I think about it closely, like I don't really, cause I, I think I'm actually a better climber for it, even though I climb less. Um, totally. and, and that's, that's like not, <laughs> you know, I, I feel like yourself in the sense that I, I, I like getting, I like climbing harder things, not because I'm obsessed with the grade, but I think that the feeling of trying something and having it be literally impossible and then going back and, and being able to climb it, like that's an amazing feeling. And, um, I mean, that's entirely the reason that I rock climb. Yeah. It's so crazy. It like, it feels, it's like the closest feeling to flying, you know, when you're like standing on holds that you don't believe in and you don't fall, you know, you're like, I just did that with my mind completely with my mind. And, um, well, it's, it's a process, right? It's, It's like a gradual realization of something. Like if you try something and it, at first it just feels so far above you, uh, and then, you know, over time you improve, you try to whittle, whittle away at like a big goal, uh, and think it feels differently over time. I think that's like, it can be a really addicting, uh, feeling. And oh, I know man. it has. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, yeah, so I, I think it's, you know, I've, I've really come around to the idea that, that it's like, it's, it's something that can really add to the quality of, of your climbing experience and not just be like a consolation prize if you can't get outdoors. And so I do find myself proselytizing the whole training concept a little bit, you know? Um, yep. I'm sure you've had this conversation a million times where you ask somebody like, I'm like, Oh, I'm really stuck at this like five eleven grade. And you're like, Oh, well, what do you do to train? You're like, Oh, I go and I go to the gym two, two mornings a week. And I, you know, lead routes in the overhanging wall. It's like, well, okay, that's, you know, that's great. Um, but there's like a whole suite of other things that you could do to target your weaknesses if you, if you really wanted to. Well, I think you just said the key thing, uh, right there. And you can kind of, I think you can dumb down quite a bit of training to what you just said, which is just targeting your weaknesses. Mm -hmm. Um, there's so much information available about how to train for rock climbing at this point compared to what was available even two, three years ago. For sure. Um, and I, and to be and I think that that's not necessarily always a good thing. And I know that, you know, there's some irony there and that I produce quite a lot of the content or like I produce the content for training beta that, that adds to that. Um, and you know, I try really hard to sort of deliver a more curated message of like what actually, um, should go into training. Mm-hmm. But talking about like working your weaknesses is certainly like a a central component to that. Um, I think when we talk about training, 
it's uh, it's really tempting to think about it as just like like you said, like hangboarding in a basement um, and just yep. purely ad- addressing the physical side of like getting stronger. Mm-hmm. Um, but the more and more I get into training and training myself, but, and also coaching other athletes, um, the more I'm realizing that like it's climbing is a skill sport. And if that's not, then if that's not the number one part of your training program, then, uh, you know, you're really limiting the, um, the results you're going to see. Yeah, no doubt. Um, and I do, I guess this is something that I've wondered a little bit since this whole training thing has exploded. And do you feel like the, the focus on, on training that maybe you reject the premise, but I feel like they we're, we're in a moment where training is very hip and as opposed totally. to like, um, back when I, was not first starting, but maybe a little bit after that when it was sort of like the Chris Sharma, like Dave Graham heyday. And I remember back then, you know, and partly I I think that (laughs) I have no data for this, but partly I think that the two of them being such um, like prodigy type climbing talents, I think that really poured some cold water for a few years on the notion of training because they were just going out and climbing and they were climbing the hardest things in the world. And so there was some pushback against the idea that you had to train to be an elite climber. And now I think the pendulum is sort of back on the other side and, and, and training is like the hot thing to be doing. And yeah, I, I do wonder if, if that is, if what comes with that is, is this notion that what you should be doing is like fixating on, well, well, how, how much time under tension and how many seconds of rest and how much the, and, and, you know, people are zooming into those types of details at such a granular level to the exclusion of focusing on, uh, well, how good is your footwork, for example? Totally. I mean, any rock climbing trainer, out there, the number one question you get asked is about different hangboard protocols. Yeah. (laughs) You know, like it's, it's just a given. It's like, Oh, it's seven seconds on three seconds off better. Or is 10 second max things better. And, and it's the irony of it is like, it just, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's like, and when, and I, and I think people are, are unsatisfied by that answer. Right. Yes. Because they're like, well, it, it's got to matter. But the reason it doesn't matter isn't that there is, isn't a difference between different hangboard protocols, but that, like you said, there's so much more to rock climbing performance, whether it's footwork, technique, skill, all those other things that unless you are like the top, top level elite where, you know, eking out a tiny, tiny, percentage increase in finger strength, then there, it's probably not the number one limiting factor right. in your climbing. Yeah. It's just lost so, in the noise. Exactly. And that doesn't mean that it's not important to train strength. It just means that doing something consistently over mm-hmm. time right. is if you're doing that while you're working on your weaknesses and practicing skill, that that's going to get, like, if you put the focus on, skill practice and being deliberate in your practice and really trying to become a better climber, not just a stronger climber that the, the hangboarding and like the strength training stuff can be background. Yeah. Just, if it's just being done consistently over time, but isn't what you're stressing about and obsessing over, like it's better to stress and obsess over becoming a better rock climber and just let, let the strength training to, you know, happen over time. Right. Like, do it's- it try hard, but it's also it's more not. intimidating, right, to tackle the whole process of becoming a, like, quote unquote, better rock climber than it is to just say, oh, if there's like, I'm going to find the fully optimized hangboard protocol and I'll just have to stick with that for however many months it takes me to become a 514 climber. And and that's just totally. that seems like an easier lift. And so, uh, so I, I anyway, best- I, I, I sympathize with the, with the appeal of that mentality. Totally. But I think maybe the best way to put it is training isn't what makes you a better rock climber training is what makes you stronger. And it, so it gets you training, gets you to a place where you have the opportunity to then express 
your rock climbing skill on harder and harder challenges. Mm-hmm. But you have to develop that skill apart from that. Like you're not going to, you're not going to develop skill on the hangboard. Right. Uh, you might even use it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. you know you will. <laughs> yeah. And we're I, harping on the hangboard here, but it's, yeah. it's just more, I, I think a, a place I see people go wrong all the time is that training becomes the goal mm-hmm. instead of climbing harder, harder and harder things or whatever your goal is in climbing. Like you get to choose that yourself, mm-hmm. but you need to keep that goal, the yeah. goal. Yeah. Uh, there, there was an interesting, um, quote from Adam Andra fairly recently. I think it was just part, it was like a throwaway comment. Maybe it's part of a larger interview where he said something along the lines of, and I'm like not directly quoting. I'm just trying to recall the essence yeah. of what he was saying, but he was essentially making the case that, um, that like strength technique is, is so integral to climbing that most climbers, if they had totally immaculate technique could climb V10 regardless of where their strength is at. And I don't know if I fully agree with that. I mean, I wonder if you climb V16 that you think of V10 as being fairly pedestrian and the level that like skill will <laughs> allows you to rise to. And so I don't know if I totally buy that that's the number, but the spirit of his point is that, you know, most climbers I think are climbing way below what their strength would allow if they weren't gated by inefficiencies in their technique. Yeah, I, I, I agree wholeheartedly. It's like, I, it's hard to like attach a real number to that. Like, cause you just, I mean, there's, there's plenty of people who are just ruthlessly strong, have terrible technique and have climbed hard things. And then there's plenty of people who are, you know, relatively, you know, weak and have also climbed hard things and get by on amazing technique and amazing tactics and right. like knowing how to rock climb well. So yeah, I think the like the exact number is irrelevant. But like exactly. you said, the spirit there is 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 spot on. Yeah, um, I mean, it's like the proof of it is I. I mean, everybody who's been out there has seen somebody who's you know, either older or is used to climb hard, but they're basically back at the crag off the couch. And they're like, Oh man, I'm really struggling on this 512. And you're like, how are you climbing 512 off the couch when you're 50? Right. But their technique is like really good. And and that's how they're doing it. You know, like they're objectively not as strong as you probably, but you know, that's, that's not the point. It doesn't matter. No, totally. And, and again, I think it's like, it's just framing correctly framing what training is and where it's supposed to get you. And I think people with training, like we said, sort of being like the hip thing right now, I think people have the expectation that, yeah, you, you go lock yourself in, in the climbing gym, you put the work in. If somebody tells you exactly what to do or you figure it out yourself, as long as you do the right things, you're just going to, you'll go send, you know, your Mm -hmm. dream route. Yeah. And it, it's not, it's not that simple. It's, it's a question of, uh, setting the right expectations. It's training is going to, if you do it right, training will get you stronger. Uh, and that will get you to a place that you then have a chance to then go put the work in and climb something that was that dream goal. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, there's just, you didn't, you didn't earn the right to send or anything on the hangboard, right? You do that at the crag. Like it just gets you to a position of like being able to do that. Right. Yeah. Um, so I guess this, this might've already answered, answered my next question, but is, do you have, um, how, how do you work in training being on the road that much? I mean, you know, that's obviously climbing outdoors as much as you were describing with your own climbing is, is very much in line with the focus on skill and, and, and technique that we were just discussing. But do you, have a system that you like for, okay, well, I'm going to, um, you know, use the training tools that I, that I like to keep myself maximally fit while I'm on the road, but still maximize my days outdoors. How does that break down for you? Um, it sort of depends on where I'm at, like within my climbing year. Uh, I, you know, I really try to plan things out on that macro level of like, okay, I have these goals and I know that I want to climb this route during this month of the year, cause that's when it's going to be in condition and that's where I'm going to be. So, you know, I know like if I want to climb a, a route in December into VRG, like I know that I need to show up, you know, feeling fit and feeling strong 
So like that was my goal last year. And so I trained in November. Uh, I like, you know, I still went climbing outside time to time, but I was pretty much in Salt Lake and shifted my focus away from trying to just like climb my projects outside more towards, you know, putting the work into train. And so that's like a, that's essentially what I do at this point is I, I set periods of time aside, um, that that becomes the focus. Mm-hmm. Like, so even though I could, you know, I could be climbing outside, it's like, uh, I, I make the, I put that on the back burner and, and go train. Yeah. Um, and like, so pick the goal and reverse engineer the, the months. Yeah. You always, into- that's exactly it. You always start with what the goal is and then work backwards from there. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just, uh, you know, training and performance are two different things. Um, so, and I try to just decide for what, wherever I'm at, at any given time, which is the, the goal during that period of time. So is this a performance phase where like I've put the work in already and now I'm just, I'm going to try to do my best and climb the routes that are boulders that I'm like really motivated by, or am I going, or is this a training period where sure, you know, maybe I want to go try that route, but you know, it's important that I like stick to my plan and, and put the work in because that's, what's going to like carry me through for the months to come. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so, you know, that's like exactly what I'm doing, you know, right now. Like I, I trained in Salt Lake, um, with Sam before we went to Spain, we went to Spain and we just climbed, came back. We've, we were just in rifle for like six weeks, uh, climbing. And that was like the main goal was just trying to, you know, climb roots. And now I'm kind of, you know, I'm going to go down to Lander for the Climbers Festival here in a minute. And I'm sort of taking, I'm just going to like climb for fun for next like week or two. Uh, But then I'm going to sort of jump into another training phase while I'm at home in August to get ready for the fall. What's your, uh, what are some of your prominent goals for the fall? Um, Well, I'm going to, I've never been to the Red river gorge oh cool uh so i think i'm gonna go to the red for november oh, man. um it's so fun which um yeah exactly i like kind of can't wait uh i think you know obviously that's like a renowned sport climbing destination and it's just, it's so fun when you get to go to areas that you haven't been to before and everything's new yeah um you know you just get to do new new routes all the time it's like you don't have a warm-up program you don't have you're just Right. It's all new and all yeah. exciting and fun. Especially when the um, routes that you've seen pictures of before too, you know, and you're like, Oh my God, I can't wait to look up at this. Totally. And the red's just such an aesthetic place. Like it, it, from photos, like I said, I've never been there, but it's just like, it, it just looks like the epitome of like fun rock climbing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. That's like, a great way to say that. Yeah, totally. For sure. Yeah. It's an outdoor gym in some ways. You yeah. Know, it's like um, the moves like look like the routes look like they were or climb, I guess like they were set in a fun way. Yeah. And then, so I'm going to do that. And that's just like a, a trip. Like I want to climb well there. And I don't know, I haven't like picked out exact routes or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. I, I'll probably be mostly focused on just climbing a lot of routes, you know, maybe like see how many five thirteens or something I can do in a month. Yeah. Um, but then I'm going back to the VRG, uh, for December. And that's sort of like my, the big goal for, uh, you know, for now through the end of the year. Um, I tried to route there last year and got really close. And so I need to go sort of take care of unfinished business. There. Yeah. Nice. Oh, that's awesome. Um, so you got, you're doing the training beta gig full time from the road, right? Yep. And you are, um, you're on the rhino skin athlete team. Do you, or do you have other um, like climbing side hustles that you're 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 juggling as well, or is it it those those two for now? Uh, no, I kind of have some other stuff going on um, as well. You know, I have a couple other sponsors. Um, like I'm on the Friction Labs team. Nice. Um, I'm on the Send climbing team uh, and the Gnarly Nutrition team. Nice. Um, but that's all. And then I, but you know, in terms of like financially, it's, yeah. uh, I'm, uh, it's, it's training beta and then I sell photos. 
Oh, nice. Um, and do, yeah. you, do you coach as well through training beta? Yeah. So my role in training beta is, is sort of two things. I, uh, I'm the content manager. Uh-huh. Um, so I write the blog, I write articles for us. I sort of produce, like essentially produce all our content or, you know, determine what we put up on the blog. Uh, and, but then I also am our head coach. So I'm, I have like personal coaching athletes that I work with sort of one-on-one and write custom training programs for. And that, you know, looks exactly like sort of what we were just talking about. Like take, you know, talking to people, figuring out what their goals are and what, and what their weaknesses are and working backwards from there to help, you know, to design them a training program that is going to help them reach those goals. So can anybody Uh, reach out to you and, um, and do sessions with you and get a, get a custom training protocol? Yep. Awesome. How, uh, how do they do that? Uh, you can go to trainingbeta.com uh, slash Matt. Nice. Uh, yeah. Or, you know, it's on the personal training program or personal training tab on the website. Mm-hmm. Um, and I sell uh, one month programs and three month programs right now. Um, and, you know, I'm always happy to do like a one month program. And a lot of people will, you know, we'll start with a one month program and then we'll kind of keep working to see if it's like a good fit. And then we'll, keep going from there. Mm-hmm. But it's the, the way I really like to work with people is on a more long-term basis. Um, so, you know, whether that's three months or six months or a year, yeah. uh, kind of just higher yield. Yeah. It's, you just get more out of it. It becomes, you know, over time, like it's a trial and error process in a lot of ways. Like we need to see what works, what for you, like it's great to go to a book and, and know like, okay, I got to be practicing skill. Strength is important. Finger strength matters. Uh, blah, 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 blah. But like how that all fits in and how it all fits in with your life is that's like the complicated part. And it, you know, it takes some time to figure that out sometimes, um, to, to really get the most out of it. Mm -hmm. It's not that it's not that you're not going to get something out of a one month training program. Like if you, if you train hard for a month, like you're going to, you should be feeling pretty good after it. But when you then start doing that cyclically, you know, cycling through your training correctly and, in a way that works for you and in line with your goals. And you do that consistently over time. That's where like, we really see people like change their climbing. Nice. Um, so yeah, so I do that. Uh, and that's sort of like my other main role with training beta. Cool. Uh, do you enjoy the coaching a lot? Yeah, I, I really like it. I, uh, it's interesting. I, when I got into the coaching, I was, I sort of thought it would be mostly like the nuts and bolts programming. Uh, of like, you know, like when do you fit in this hangboard cycle? When do you fit in, you know, this core work or this, this lifting or, you know, this skill practice session, that kind of stuff. And that stuff matters, but more and more I'm finding that the part that I really enjoy. And I think the part that matters the most is I really enjoy working with the athletes that I work with and attacking, um, the like mental side of it and what's just sort of like helping people really figure out what's holding them back in climbing. Um, and, and, you know, so it's, it's not just like training to get stronger. It's working together to like help people improve their rock climbing. Yeah. Uh, And I find that really rewarding. It's, it's awesome when I like, you know, have athletes who, you know, train really hard, work really hard, go on a trip and like, achieve a big goal. Like mm-hmm. I, I get a lot of satisfaction out of that. Yeah. Um, That's awesome. I must feel so cool. It's almost like it's sometimes it's almost more fun to watch the people that you've taught succeed than going out and doing it yourself, you know, cause the joy that you get out of succeeding for me anyway, like if I send a route, the joy is there, but it's fleeting, you know? And then I'm like, Oh man, got to get like, I want the next one almost immediately. But there's like a more enduring satisfaction from, from like, telling somebody else how to do it and like coaching them through it and then watching them like get it themselves. Yep. Yeah, no, it's, it's amazing. I really like it. It's, you know, I I worked with an athlete who, uh, he's from New Zealand and he, you know, he's climbed quite, he's a high level boulder. Uh, like, you know, he, he climbed a bunch of like V10, V11, uh, and he had a trip planned to the States to try to go do wet dream in Vegas, uh-huh. which, you know, it's like, 
notoriously hard V12. Yeah. And he had tried it the year before and it, it sort of like felt like it was, it could maybe be possible, but it, it felt like a little out of reach. And he trained super hard, went to Vegas and he like got it done last, last try, last oh, day on his trip. So yeah, it's awesome. Like, like high drama. Like, yeah. It's like fairy tale stuff, right? Yeah, you know, totally. Like, that's that's, like, that's a, like what you want. Yeah. So absolutely. And it was great to, you know, have him do that and, and be psyched. And, you know, I know that that was like a big goal for him. So it was amazing. Is that the problem that is on the walk into Black Velvet Canyon? Yep. Okay. Yeah, I've, like I've looked. I've stood under that yeah. so many times. That thing is incredible. Yeah, I mean it's one of the best polar problems anywhere yeah. on the planet, and yeah. it's it's amazing. Oh so. man, yeah. I've yeah. um, I, I've always. I mean, I, I think that I don't know if that's beyond my reach, like all time. But you know, I've I've turned my attention to bouldering in the last little while, particularly now, now that we have a kid around because it's so, I mean, bouldering is just like superlatively kid friendly relative to like multi-pitch rock climbing. But, um, yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, I, I, I'm trying to embrace bouldering despite being like quite bad at it. And, um, and like I was saying with, you know, I earlier when we were talking about, about training, I, I initially was like, Oh God, I hate that I'm training all the time instead of going rock climbing. And now I kind of enjoy it. I feel similarly, with having started to like wade into bouldering where I feel like bouldering is more focused on the actual components that go into hard rock climbing. And then you end up putting them all together to complete a task than is true with, with route climbing, particularly trad climbing. You know, you can trad climb a lot, maybe a whole lifetime and never do a, like a move where like the one move is way too hard for you and you're going to have to like test out 50 different footholds and like all of the, and like really, really unpack everything that's going on. You know, most times the, when people go track climbing there, they're tr things that are like the, your reach are, are hard for you in their totality, right? The pitch is hard to send, but maybe no one five foot section is like particularly terrible. Um, I mean, totally. I'm thinking like Indian Creek is, is like maybe the best example of this, right? Like you could take any route at Indian Creek and chop out 10 feet and put it on the ground and I could probably climb it, you know? Um, right, right. But, but like, I, then I go there in reality and I just get absolutely schooled. And, um, and that's, that's not true for bouldering, right? With bouldering, you're, you're, you're focusing on the minutia intentionally. Yeah. I mean, it's like movement really just still down into like succeeding at bouldering requires taking movement and really distilling it down. Mm -hmm. Um, and no matter what kind of climbing you're into, like if you bouldering is a great way to learn that process, like it's deliberate practice, even in its, when it's performance, right? So mm -hmm. what's required to succeed on a hard boulder problem is, you know, attacking that one move that you can't do, or that sequence of moves you can't do like you said, studying the minutia, figuring it out, reflecting on why you, why you're failing, what went, what went well in that go, what didn't, what, what do you need to improve on? Like, what are you going to try to do in your next go? Um, and like, if you can cultivate that sort of approach, uh, of being really analytical about your movement and self-reflective about your climbing, like that's just such a powerful thing, no matter what style of climbing you're in. Yeah. Into. I and, you know, for me personally, some of it was like, I, there was a little bit of work involved in bringing my mind around to the idea that th details that small could matter. Right. And initially, and maybe this is, I think this is true for, for lots of people when they start out, like imagine yourself going to the gym for the first few times. It's not the case for the first many, many months you climb where it particularly matters how exactly your foot is positioned on, on this hold, you know, cause the holds are quite large. And so they're extremely forgiving of you being imprecise with your footwork. And so like later on, you're introduced to routes or moves where you're like, Oh, I have to hit this hold like correctly. Right. Like the concept of micro beta is not one that you encounter necessarily as a, as a very new climber. And, totally. um, and, and bouldering is, is, is really built around that. Maybe, maybe boulders encounter that initially. Maybe I'm like outing myself as, as having this bias, <laughs> but, um, 
But that's like, I think that if you choose to go into multi-pitch trad climbing, for example, you're going to go even longer until you encounter those ideas as necessities. And, um, yeah, and no, you know, that's definitely true. Yeah. For, I mean, it's, it's just like, it's, it's not better or, or, or worse. It, it's engaging in a super different way. Um, but it, it does, there is, I'm like having to come to grips with the fact that there is so much that, that bouldering can offer you as a trad climber for that reason. And, um, and it's also, you know, that, that concept of minutia is tied up in, in a lot of those, those things that you were just discussing, right? Like the, the work that you do at training beta being on the friction labs team and being on the rhino skin team and so forth. Like those are all examples of, I guess, hot, like super, super high end, um, products in the, in the case of friction labs and rhino skin, and then just ideas in the case of training beta that, that I think it's not immediately clear that those could be particularly impactful. Like those could matter in terms of sending versus not. And, um, and then come to find out after a lot of conversations with people who climb at a very high level, there's this uniform belief that eventually you get to a point where those, you can tell the difference and those things do matter. And, um, and that's, that's like a novel, that's sort of a novel concept for me. And I imagine a lot of other climbers out there that, that, that stuff actually does contribute to, to you actually climbing your hardest. Maybe, maybe not as much as like whether or not you're training effectively, but certainly, certainly to a measurable extent. No, totally. I mean, there's in this is kind of what I was talking about before with, and maybe didn't do the best job of describing in terms of where I was saying I like I I thought that coaching would be more about the nuts and bolts of of like how you're training, but it's quite a bit more of like unpacking how people are getting in their own way and um, tactical errors, and, and you know I mean it, even stuff as simple as like like skin maintenance. You know, like you brought up the Rhino products. It's like if you if you live on the road or if you're on a road trip or you just climb a lot, like chances are you're going to run into to skin issues. And, you know, I, I like firmly believe that, you know, using products like the Rhino, like Rhino products and matching that to where I'm climbing. So, you know, like I use the repair stuff after every time I climb, but if I'm in a more humid climate, I might use, I use drier performance more often. Uh, as, as like a skin conditioner to, you know, it's like a anti-hydral-esque, like, um, to, you know, prevent your tips from sweating. Right. Like that stuff might seem super small. Right. And I have to remind myself all the time that, cause I, you know, I, I tend to like exist and travel with more higher end climbers, but that we kind of assume that that stuff's a given. Right. Um, so, you know, it's not uncommon, like, you know, everyone has dinner at the end of the night. And then it's like everyone's filing their, their skin, you know, putting on skincare products. Um, you know, it's like, you know, it's like the maintenance time. Yeah. It's like a standard part of climbing hard, you know? Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, I'll talk to some people and they'll they'll be like, yeah, I I climbed until every one of my fingertips was bleeding. And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa." like you went too far already. Like, yeah, you're not going to like too, too much. Like now it's, going to be days before you have good skin again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, but you know, so. even, even the note that like, there's like a whole upstream consideration there where the fact that you need good skin to climb well is not obvious, I think. And right. uh, like that wasn't something that I considered forever. And similar, I imagine that the training equivalent would be when you have people who go to the gym and just utterly thrash themselves and build this like unbelievably deep recovery hole and then like can't go back to the gym for four days. And it's like, well, is that, uh, is that optimal? No, probably not. You know, you're, no, you, totally. you're getting way, it, way too much out of one session and it's actually hurting your progress. Totally. I mean, it's, there's like an irony in that quite often, you know, when I work with athletes who have sort of some amount of training knowledge and background already, um, you know, so it's like they're familiar with the hangboard. They they know how to lift weights. They they understand the idea of like, you know, circuits or energy system work, like stuff like that. People are so, especially, and I think it's natural, like, right? You just paid to hire a coach. So you're motivated and you want to do more. But quite often it's like, it's just an exercise in trying to eliminate 
things from people's training routines so that they're doing, you know, it's intensity over volume and it's, uh, and people are focusing on what they really need to be focusing on and not just heading into the gym to get tired. Right. Yeah. And like um, way, way overtired, right? The concept of, of overtraining is a strange one initially, I think for a lot of people, you know, it's easy to assume that like more training, more better. Yeah. And, and, and maybe not, <laughs> you know? Um, but yeah, no, yeah I mean, I, I totally think, it, think so. It's, yeah. It's like qualities what you're really after. Um, yeah, for you know, sure. I, I, I think of it as like you go in, you got a fixed amount of energy, right? So you, you do the, you do high quality work. So whether that's, you know, deliberate skill practice or high level power or strength or energy, so whatever your, your program, you know, your plan is calling for that's coming from your goal. Uh, you do that, you give what you can give for the day and then that's it. Like yeah. anything, anything else is you're not being more disciplined by, you know, just training to the point of complete exhaustion and you're actually being less disciplined. It's better to just give what you can give for the day, start recovering Mm -hmm. and come back the next time you can have another quality session. Yeah. Like climb out the top 20% or 25% of your energy maybe, and then, and then leave and recover. I think that if people really reflect on like what it feels like when you're climbing, like you sort of know, like when techniques breaking down, when, when you're, when everything's dropping off, like it's pro you're probably, you're fatigued and there are certain things you can train when you're still fatigued, but like certainly like trying more hard boulder problems, like, you know, and thinking you're going to get stronger and more powerful through that is like, it's just not going to happen. Like you can't train power when you're exhausted. Yeah. You need to be fresh. You know, it's quality, not can, quantity. You can so. certainly train injury though. That's for sure. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, that's, I think we're, you know, we've seen a rise and we're seeing, you know, I don't, again, I don't have much data to back this up, but it seems like we're seeing more and more climbing injuries. And I think that that's mostly because people are getting exposed to the training techniques that put, you know, higher stress on injury prone parts of the body, fingers, shoulders, elbows, knees, whatever. Yeah. Uh, that, but then they don't respect the, the idea that, that that puts a higher load on those areas than just going climbing and you have to adjust the volume accordingly. Yeah. I mean, to say nothing of the fact that climbing is, I I think if you zoom out far enough, we could all probably admit that climbing is an outrageously silly sport. That's very (laughs) counter to the way that our physiology is evolved. And I mean, your fingers are just not coming off the factory lines meant for that type of use. Right. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I'm not a medical professional sure. by any means, but I can safely say from my own experience and my own, uh, and my coaching that it's, it's just so much better to be preventative than it is to yeah. go too far and have to deal with trying to rehab something. I think, and, I think medical professionals would probably tell you that as well. Yeah. And, but that, that doesn't just mean doing more. It's not just like, doing more injury prevention work. It's, it's doing the stuff you need to be doing, but just respecting the limitations of your body and what you're trying to do. Mm -hmm. And it's like, and not pushing to that state of being totally destroyed. You know, it's like, if you can't grip your steering wheel when you're driving home, (laughs) you've, you've done too much, you know? And, (laughs) And I think, and I think anyone who's been, who's been climbing for a long time, like I have like vivid memories of my early gym sessions where I was just, you know, too psyched and yeah, like literally like not being able to wrap my, like close my fingers around the steering wheel kind of thing. Yeah. And it's just, yeah, that's or, not helping you. Or you're all. out at the bar later and you meet somebody and you can like barely shake their hand. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Just, like, crazy pumped. Oh my goodness. It's funny to think about that stuff. It's like, like you were saying in traveling in that circles where you forget that these things are not given, like those memories seem so distant, but then, yeah, then you hear, you know, you go to, a bunch of new modern gyms and, and you hear people talk about this stuff and you're like, Oh, I, I totally remember that. Like I haven't thought those thoughts in a long time, but, but man, they, they rush right back. Totally. And I, you know, I think that's a, to bring it back to like the, the climbing community as a whole a little bit. I think that's a really like beautiful thing and powerful thing about the, the climbing world is like, we all like 
people go through those same experiences. Like almost everyone who started climbing, like, like you said, you know, it was like you're, you're hooked right away. All you want to do is go climbing. So you like climb to like, you're young, you're psyched. You're, you just go to the, till you're totally destroyed. It's like, we all, everyone's been there. Like you've already, everyone's been through some of the same experiences and it's like that shared experience that I think like mm-hmm. makes it such a, a powerful tribe. And like, oh, man, it's, that's... uh, yeah, that's it's, a... it's cool to know that and to, to remember that and to, you know, and when you see people who, you know, are still, you know, in that position, like I, it honestly, like I get such a kick out of like being out at a sport crag and or at the boulders and, and when some, you know, young kid or whatever shows up, who's just so psyched. It's, it's easy to, you know, maybe like you could like feel like, Oh, you're, you're annoyed. Somebody like is like just going, going too hard. You're like, Oh man, they might get hurt or something. But, it, but if you like take a step yeah. back and you, yeah. that like, it's just, I get so much like motivation from like feeding off of other people's motivation like that. Cause it makes me remember yeah. what it was like. I was like that. Totally. And I think that we all learn these things along the way where you get, you get so acutely aware of where your own skill level is. I, I at least have this tendency to like, I'll try something. I'll be like, Oh, that's too far above me. I should be doing something else. But then you look over and you see these kids who are crazy psyched and they're just going ham on this boulder problem that they're like not even close to. You can tell that they're just not going to send. And, um, but they don't care. They're psyched, you know? And you're like, Oh, I, I should remember to not lose that, you know? Completely. Um, but you know, yeah, I, it, I do see, I do feel like this to your point about like uh, everyone having the same experiences. I feel like I make this case all the time where climbing is unique in a lot of sports in the sense that the, we have this cottage industry time where, I, you're not going to go play on the same basketball court that LeBron James plays or trains on or like play on the same soccer pitch that Messi's kicking a ball around on, you know, but you could show up at the crag and have named the most famous climber in the world and have them be climbing there, you know? Totally. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing. Yeah. And, and you know, it doesn't, you could fly to Spain and go to Oleana in the winter and yeah, you're going to see it's going to be a who's who of international sport climbing elite, but you could also show up and, you know, any, um, you know, any quality American crag and there's, you know, a chance that one of the top American sport climbers is going to be there. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Just hang out in Yosemite or, or in, in October, May. Yeah. Rifle in September, you know, where, wherever, but you know, it's, it, it is, it's a cool thing to, to, yeah, get to exist side by side with, you know, such a broad range of the community. So I, I want to circle back a little bit and we can kind of, um, I guess, move towards winding this down. But I I wanted to circle back briefly to that training beta um, question that I had for you, which was with your time at training beta, you, you've been exposed to a lot of people who are sort of the who's who in climbing physiology and training and their, their opinions and their experiences and stuff. And, and that's such a trove of knowledge, but like you said, there, you know, there, there can, it can be a little bit of a drinking from the fire hose thing. And so I'm curious who you, you know, who's been through training beta and either been on the podcast or you've sort of encountered in that world that you have, you know, where you like really absorbed their philosophy or, you know, if you were to try to take all of the stuff that, that training beta has and, and distill it down, um, is that something that can be done or is it so person to person that, that that's hard to even, I mean, maybe that's the wrong question. No, I think, I think what you're getting at there is, it's sort of like what lens do you use to filter through mm. things? Mm-hmm. And I, you know, there, there are people like Steve Bechtel who've been, you know, really big influences on me and how I understand training. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think it, but just jumping to like a name that sort of sums up the philosophy is maybe, uh, not zooming out far enough. Mm, um, too reductive. And I think the, to really like have a effective lens of how you understand training, what's right for you and what you should do. You just need to zoom out far enough and, and look at what it is you're trying to accomplish. So setting a goal, whatever goal you set, that's up to you. But like the goal has to stay the goal and you need to just look at it and say, what, what is preventing me? Like what weaknesses of mine are preventing me from reaching this goal and attack those. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think if you, 
if, if that's your main focus and then you keep a couple other really simple things in mind, it's kind of hard to miss the mark. And I think those are climbing is a skill sport. So, you know, I think it, you know, it's, I think it's Bechtel who's always said, uh, you know, at least 75 or 80% of your total training time needs to be shoes, climbing shoes on practicing skill. So mm-hmm. anything that doesn't fit into that, whether it's hangboard, campus board, you know, weights, whatever, that's the accessory. That's 20, 25%. The rest of it is skill first. So then that's what, where you're improving as a climber. That's, that's number one. Number two is strength is the basis of hard rock climbing. Um, you know, there's like the, there's like the famous Tony Yanira quote, like if you, if you can't do the moves, you have nothing to endure. Mm-hmm, um, right. but it's, and I think it still rings really true. It's like, if you're, it's strength first, like you need to be able to hold the holes to be able to move off them. You need to be able, you need to be strong enough to do the moves on your, on your, you know, goal route to be able to link them off. Um, and every strength is like the fundamental attribute that, and everything else relies on it. So it's skill. It's like skill first, skill practice first, strength as the number one sort of physical attribute that you need to worry about. And the last one is quality, uh, not quantity. So if you're, and that speaks to, you know, what we talked about, about, you know, not digging yourself a massive recovery hole, not, you know, not going to the death every time you put your climbing shoes on and, uh, sort of making sure what your training is high quality. I think if you, if you keep the goal, the goal and attack the weaknesses that are preventing you from reaching it and then use those other three things, uh, I think that that's, you know, that's a pretty good recipe for success. Yeah. That's a, that's very, very well said for sure. Um, my last question for you is more of a general question. And I was wondering what you thought the area in which climbing is changing the most currently is. Hmm. Interesting. Um, I don't know if I have a great answer for that. Um, I mean, I think that the, it's, it seems to me like the, the biggest change happening has to do with sort of the proliferation of gyms and just how many new gyms are popping up and how many new climbers are, how many, you know, people are entering the sport as a result of that. Mm Um, and I think there's, you know, that's, we can go down a really big rabbit hole of like talking about whether that's good or bad. And, you know, we could, you know, depending on how you talk about it, it's really easy to come across as like a crusty, uh, (laughs) old guy, you know? Um, but I think if you, you know, if you care about the sport, it's, it's great. You know, if you love climbing, like you can't be upset, uh, about more people entering the sport and getting to enjoy climbing. Um, it is but I do think that, uh, a, a sort of disturbing trend in climbing is outdoor areas sort of getting treated like they're climbing gyms. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know, I think it's important that people respect, uh, respect outdoor crags, outdoor boulders, whatever, as what they are. Like you're out in you're out in nature, you're out doing this activity. Um, it's not a, a like a climbing gym's a curated experience, right? Like somebody sets the roots, somebody puts, you know, there's like quick draws hanging on the bolts. You know, you don't have to worry about any of that stuff. Like that's why your, your, your membership pays for, for, uh, you know, that kind of yeah, service. Right. Uh, but that's not the case outside. And I think it's important for people to remember that. Yeah. Uh, and, and treat the places like the, what they are like, you know, for the people who've been out doing it for a long time and traveling and spending time in these places, like they're really sacred places and mm-hmm. they should get treated as such. No, that's a great point. And you know, the impact zone at a crag is actually quite small, right? Cause the staging area is like a small strip of sidewalk. It's not like the, all the visitors are distributed amongst this many square miles area of wilderness. You know, when we're yep. at a crag, we're crazy concentrated. Yep. 
Oh, cool. Man, Wait, thank you yeah. so much for taking the time to come on the show, man. It was great talking to you. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. It was really fun. Good luck with the festival and have an awesome time with your trip to the Red. That'd be great. Thanks, man. Check us out on iTunes. Give us a rating. Leave us some feedback. And I hope you all have a great week.